Here we go on this Rumination Thursday, Law and Gospel, September the 3rd in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me, my co-host, Pastor Wes Reimnitz. Hi, Wes. Hi, Tom. How are you? Well, we'll see how we're doing at the end of this broadcast. Okay. We've talked quite a bit about this broadcast as to what we're going to be dealing with. And in a general sense, it's really captured with the word apologetics. But a lot of people don't realize there are about six different kinds of apologetics. Uh, for, for example, when somebody said they had discovered the bones of Jesus, there were those of our pastors who did a really good job with what I call historical apologetics, showing that from a point of view of history, these bones could not be Jesus, and they had various arguments uh, against that. I don't have any problem with that. I don't have a problem with a kind of a scientific apologetics, which counters the whole idea of evolution. We've got a number of groups that indicate that from a creationist point of view and a proper scientific point of view, creationists make more sense than do evolutionaries. In fact, if you take a look at the difference, evolution believes in what I call historical science. And creation believes in what one sees, what one can replicate. Uh, I'll give you a kind of an example here. Why do evolutionists think the world is so long uh, lasting? They, they find diamonds. And we know that a diamond from a tree becoming fossilized and under pressure may take thousands of years to become a diamond. So when they find that, they just assume that the earth is many, many, many thousands of years. Uh, another thing they like using, evolutionists, is stars. There are some stars that are so far away, it would take thousands of years for the light to reach the earth. So they just assume, therefore, the earth is a million years old or whatever they want to say because of the speed of light and the distance of the stars without realizing that when God created the universe and the stars, the light already was reaching earth. So I don't have any problem with those kinds of apologetics, but today we're going to be talking about two kinds of apologists and the the one is what we call evidential apologists, and the other one are presuppositional apologists. Is there any Bible verses that come to your mind that really indicate there is not proper evidence for, say, what the Bible has to say? What the Bible has to say? Right. Well, in listening to what you were talking about there early on, between creation and historical, right away I, I, I came to 
looking at, you know, in the catechism, we teach our our uh, catechisms, our junior high and our, our adults, about natural knowledge and revealed knowledge of God. Uh, of course, uh, uh, for instance, Hebrews chapter 3, every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. I mean, we can we can look at, when we, when we look at those uh, apologetics. Uh, we 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 teach the the revealed and natural knowledge. Natural, of course, being that uh, you just take a look out there and you can see things that that God has created. Revealed, you you have to go to the Word, and uh, John chapter yeah, I think twenty. You made a good yeah. point about natural knowledge that we're doing this in youth confirmation because we're dealing with believers there. Right. In, in other words, to use natural knowledge for unbelievers isn't going to work. And the verse I like looking at is first Corinthians chapter two, hmm. where it talks about, um, what a man, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing mm -hmm. spiritual things with spiritual. But the, and here's the big verse, verse 14, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now that's a clear Bible verse that you can't provide evidence to the natural man about the truth of Christianity because he will not receive it. Well, there, therein lies uh, the lack of the Holy Spirit working in them. Exactly. And, you know, with youth confirmants, typically they're, they're baptized as babies, so they're carrying the Spirit of God with them. Yes. Yes, and that's why we can use Bible verses to help explain reality, because the Spirit within the students, I, I don't ever remember uh, giving a confirmation class to students where they started arguing with me as though they were part of the world. But... <laughs> You know, this is something kind of to keep in mind. The um, evidential apologists believe that there is evidence even outside the Scripture to prove the Scripture. And if you listen to them, they have two concerns why they want to use evidence. The mm. first is a lack of of reasonableness of Christianity. They want to make Christianity reasonable. And they don't understand that to the world, 
Christianity will never be reasonable. I mean, where else do you spit at somebody and he dies on the cross for you? Hmm. You know, lack of reasonableness. But, but uh, we would also teach that and it, it, these essential apologetics, I'm assuming are Christians, where where is our reason without uh, being tainted by original sin? Yes, that's the other really good point you make, is that because of our original sin in the old Adam, take a look at the Pharisees. Uh, for example, one of the things that evidential apologists try to prove is that Jesus rose from the dead. I've never really figured that out because... Hmm that Jesus rose from the dead was known by the angels and also by the Pharisees. Remember, they paid the soldiers to lie that the right. disciples had come and stolen the body. So they knew he rose from the dead. They knew he raised Lazarus from the dead. But that didn't convince them at all that he was the Messiah any more than when the feeding of the 5,000 took place, they jumped to the conclusion, oh, this must be the Messiah. No, they jumped to the conclusion that this was a bread king who would restore Israel, get rid of the Romans, etc., and they chased after him. Uh, I, I've never really understood of evidential apologists appear to always be trying to prove the history of the Bible, and C.F.W. Walther this is part of the reason we're bringing this up on Wednesdays. He makes a big distinction between historical faith and saving faith. Historical faith believes the history of the Bible, but that doesn't save anybody. Pharisees mm -hmm. believed in six-day, 24-hour creation. They believed in Noah's flood. They believed in the crossing of the dry Red Sea. They believed in all these things. And yet, Jesus said their father was a devil. Because, and that's the other kind of apologist I want to talk about today, is presuppositional apologists. Presuppositional apologists believe that people have a certain view of reality. And the view of reality on the part of the Christian is really quite different than the view of reality on the part of the world. And there's no way, and I've said this many a time, that you can provide evidence to the world concerning the truthfulness of the Christian faith. Because the truthfulness of the Christian faith isn't getting somebody to, to agree with the historical accounts, but instead to agree with the gospel which says that when Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, that resulted in our forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of faith. And there's no evidence for that except outside the Bible. Well, are you, when it comes to the unbeliever, are you talking about that the evidential apologist is saying we've, we're removing roadblocks or the presumption? That's a, yeah, that's a really good point you're making, namely that uh, the evidential apologist says 
and they say this again and again, nobody will come to faith by giving them the evidence, but it removes roadblocks Mm -hmm. that interrupt their understanding of Christianity. Now, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Well, that kind of turns the whole thing on its ear with the means of grace, word and sacrament of how the Holy Spirit works. So the Holy Spirit can't work through these blockages. I mean, where's the Holy Spirit in this? That's a really good point. If you have two options to change somebody's mind and you have these so-called evidences, and then you also have the Holy Spirit who works through the means of grace, the evidential apologist already has admitted that nobody comes to faith by giving them evidence, but faith comes clearly by the means of grace. That is the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments. So why would you waste time with something that doesn't bring someone to faith when you can take that same time in bringing them the message of the Christian faith. Right. That kind of reminds me of Romans 10, where we say faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Exactly. And so proper discussion with the people of the world, the goal here is to show that their view of reality is wrong. And what really bothers me are the so-called evidences that the evidential apologist brings. For example, when they're trying to prove that the resurrection took place, they will actually use the Bible verse that says, well, 500 people saw Jesus after his resurrection. Now, that cannot possibly be understood as proper evidence because when we're talking about evidence of something, it's just a factual thing. Like I can take a a pencil and hold it up, let it go, and it will drop to the desk or to the ground. That means there's something called, we call gravity. And you can learn about how gravity works, you better know how gravity works when you take a spaceship to the moon, etc. But this understanding of the evidence, namely 500 people saw Jesus, that only works if the person believes the Bible. And all you have mm-hmm. to do is say, oh, I don't believe that ever happened. And that, well, that's you- not evidence at all. Oh. Well, what kind of also turns it on its ear is is you've often used that, that road to Emmaus and how Jesus revealed himself to to those two disciples, right? He showed no evidence at all. He simply quoted Old Testament Bible verses from Genesis through Malachi. And that was the proof of who he was and explained the reason for his crucifixion and resurrection, like Isaiah, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. By his stripes, we are healed. Yeah. it. Uh, so it was the Old Testament. He does the same thing in, in Luke 24 with his disciples. 
he explains to them several times from the scriptures uh, how these things must must take, starting with uh, the writings of Moses. Exactly. So a proper conversation with an unbeliever would uh, attempt to show how his worldview is contrary to reality and how the Christian worldview really makes sense. But that sense will only become obvious to the unbeliever when the Holy Spirit instills faith in him. Because prior to that faith, there's no way an unbeliever can understand Christianity. There's no evidence for what we believe at all. Well, does this really, in a, in a sense, you know, we've used that uh, illustration where you draw a line down the middle of a piece of paper and you put God on one side and you put man on the other side, that a lot of these reasonableness to the unbeliever is something that is is a man's teaching and is not, not qualified to be on the God side of things. Yes, and in fact, a lot of times the left side, they believe the law because it just appears to them that they get ahead in the world when they obey their boss, uh, when they are really nice to their spouse, etc. And so they just assume that that's how you get right with God, by obeying his law. But the Bible is very clear with its view of reality that nobody gets saved by obeying the law. It's not that the Christian should not obey the law. It's just that he shouldn't do it with the goal of being saved. He does it instead because he has already been saved. And obedience to the law is kind of an automatic thing. C.F.W. Walter, for example, was talking about a fruit tree. You don't tell the tree, the farmer doesn't go out and say, bear fruit, bear fruit. No, it does it spontaneously. And he also used the analogy of the sun. You don't tell the sun to keep on shining because of its nature, it just does shine. And that's why Christians spontaneously, automatically, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they do good works, but they do them in light of the fact that they have been saved. And there is no evidence you can show them for that salvation, except you use the word of God, specifically the gospel, to have the Holy Spirit instill faith. Well, the other question I have, does does some of this sounds like uh, I found it, I accept Jesus into my life. Would some of that come out of that apologetics? That's excellent point again you're making. Because as C.F.W. Walter has been pointing out in our taking a look at his theses on law and gospel, the Holy Spirit never forgives sins except through the means of grace. So someone cannot understand the meaning of the work and ministry of Jesus Christ except by the Holy Spirit being given faith to that individual. And what is faith? It's not trust in the historical events that they took place. Unbelievers can agree the historical events took place, 
It's trust in the promises of the gospel connected to the historical events. And the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, our sins were being forgiven, there's no evidence of that at all. There's just the word of God. And using the word of God makes a huge difference. Like the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, was he converted because Jesus gave him evidence of his work? No, it was the Holy Spirit that moved him to believe the words of Jesus, I am the one you are persecuting. And he came to faith that way and then was baptized. I can't find anywhere in the Bible that Jesus offers evidence for what he is doing. Even when the disciples of John the baptizer come to him, how do we know that you are the Messiah? What does Jesus do? He says, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see, the mute speak. He's actually quoting the Old Testament promises of the coming of the Messiah. And therefore, if you don't believe in the Old Testament, then you're not going to believe in the message of Jesus Christ. And therein lies, you know, where we look in the Augsburg Confession that, uh, you know, it's the gospel purely taught and the right administration of the sacraments is is the use uh, within our churches of getting the good news out. We as Christians believe that the Bible is reasonable, but that is because we have a worldview given to us by the Holy Spirit that makes the Bible reasonable. One of the goals of an evidential apologist is to stop the mouths of those who say there is no evidence for what we believe. Well, I agree with the world that from a world's point of view, there is no evidence for what we believe because apart from faith, none of it makes any sense. And that's why a presuppositionalist explains what we believe on the basis of the scripture rather on the basis of some kind of evidence, uh, both in and without the scripture. Kind of reminds me of the centurion in Luke, who, when he heard about Jesus, sent for Jesus to come and heal his servants. And of course, uh, Jesus went on to say such a great faith as he found in him. Because when he heard about Jesus, he heard about the gospel. Yes, he heard about the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus said, well, I'll come with you and see your servant. He says, no, no, no. I'm a military man. I give orders they're taken out. You just say it and it will be done. And that was a great faith that Jesus complimented because through the power of the Holy Spirit, he had that faith. I mean, do you remember anybody in your ministry that came to faith because they heard evidence that the Bible was true? No. You know, it was always through the gospel. In fact, when we get into catechumens, the adults, uh, favorite, one of the favorite places was the second article of the, of the Apostles' Creed, which talks about Christ and salvation and forgiveness. 
Exactly. I have a kind of a theory that people will try to convert other people by the way they thought they were converted. And so you mm -hmm. got individuals who think, oh, there was so much evidence that the Bible is true. I'll use the evidence to try and convert them. And they don't use the means of grace. So today we were just going to take a look um, and just begin a study on the kind of very apologists. If anybody wants to write to us with a concern, a question, don't hesitate. It's lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. And tomorrow on Open Mic Friday, we may continue uh, with me talking about what we have talked about today. But thanks very much, Pastor Brian Mitz, for helping us understand the difference between proper and inappropriate apologetics. Great to be with you. Tomorrow, Open Mic Friday, where you can send me a letter or an email and we'll discuss it. I'm Tom Baker. Till then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.